Blog Talk Radio. From Live in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Summer's over, and that means uh, school's back in. Collaborative problem-solving at school is back on the air. And, well, what better way to start the year than with our educators panel, minus one member today. Um, But welcome back, everybody. I hope that it's a great school year and that it is filled with efforts to get better at and help kids using collaborative problem solving. Um, I hope your summer recharged your batteries. I um, wish that I could say mine did, but I worked too hard this summer. And uh, so I would say that I have partially recharged batteries, but what better way to get my batteries charged than by starting the year with the educators panel and two of my favorite people, Nina and Carol, who are on the air with us now. Hi, Nina. Hello. How are you? I am well. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And before I say hi to Carol, I'm going to let people know that Nina is, well, Nina's Nina's job title has changed. Do you want to tell yes. us about that? Yes, this year I am the interim principal of the of the elementary school for this year, so very excited. Very exciting, very exciting, and. Um, you were the school counselor up until now, yes? Yes. Yep. Uh, Carol, your hello to you as well. Hello. It's great to be back. So now Nina and you are both principals, um, which is pretty cool if you think about it, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I think Nina sounds a little bit in shock still. Yes. No, I'm, getting, I'm getting used to the title. It takes me a while. It takes me a second to remember. <laughs> well, for, for, forget the title. Are you are you are you adjusting to um, your new job responsibilities? I am. It's been you know a great a great start, and I enjoyed the summer the summer work very much, getting prepared. So I'm adjusting so far. How are people in your building adjusting to you? They've been wonderful, just so supportive, and just uh, I have such a wonderful group of teachers here. I could not ask for a better place to work, so they've been great. Fabulous, good. Yeah. And um, is is um, doing what you've been doing, which is 
at least part of your role, helping behaviorally challenging kids. Um, what's different now that you're the principal? Well, you know, not a, not a lot has changed since I worked so closely with our school principal with the behaviorally challenged, you know, challenging kids for sure. Um, I, so I, I really was able to be right up, to, you know, with her throughout everything and designing things that she was so on board as well with CPS. So I think the difference is I might have a little more, you know, say in some of the, of the plans, but also, you know, they, they get sent to me when it's really at the point of trying to decide what to do next. So it's just figuring out that role and working closely with my new counselor who was actually my intern last year. So she was also able to really learn a lot about mm. CPS. So we've, we've worked together kind of redefining our roles too as, you know, that's that's the hard part for me. I guess to you know, when does she go, when do I go to help um, the students. So, you know, figuring that out. But it, it's not going to change how I approach children, especially children that are having um, a challenging time or, you know, a rough time at school and just always trying to figure out what's really going on and being curious. And that's that's not going to change. I can't imagine it changing. You've got it bad. Yes, I do. <laughs> as the saying goes. Yeah. Um, it's how nice it is that the transition seems to have been as seamless as it was. You've got somebody who you trained and worked with closely, assuming your old job, and we've got someone, your your old principal, of course, Vicky, was extremely devoted to collaborative problem solving, and we have you, who's equally devoted, um, pitching in for her, which is, I wish right. transitions in schools were always so seamless. Yeah, and she's actually still doing work with the district part time, so she even gets to come over and do work with us, and um, so it's really, it's really been really nice. Fabulous. Yeah. And uh, Carol, how's your building doing these days? Well, we just started. Uh, we just came back to school. Uh, our first day was Tuesday last week, so it hasn't even been quite a full week. So we're still just settling into classes and. I'm still settling some staffing, <laughs> and um, you know, so far, uh, you know, most of our students are returning, and and the staff, and I have been discussing. We're hoping to launch uh, an actual action research project this year based on collaborative problem solving, and uh, be be more systematic in um, in developing the skills of our staff members in implementing CPS, and um, yeah, just expanding that uh, capacity amongst all of our staff. Tell us a little bit about your project. Well, the idea behind the project is to get um, some support from the district in terms of resources and getting copies of Lost at School for People and support financially to attend a workshop, which I understand you're going to be in North Vancouver up here in November. So that's a big part of it. And so then the idea of the project is that each uh, staff member who wants to join, um, there's two parts to it. So we would have regular um, kind of uh, sessions where we would talk about particular kids, view the videos on the Lives in the Balance Work uh, website, um, practice, you know, doing practicing using Plan B with students. And then throughout the year, each teacher would identify two students in their class who they felt um, would really benefit from collaborative problem solving and just kind of, uh, you know, keep some documentation on the different interventions that teachers use with them when they use CPS for what kinds of concerns. And then just kind of see by the end of the year how those students have come along in addressing some of those unsolved uh, problems and liking skills. Outstanding. 
we need more projects like that. The the data from the project that we have going on in Maine with 14 different schools, of which Nina's was one, yeah, um, are just being compiled now. But I know anecdotally um, from numerous of the schools that are involved in the study that um, we are having the kind of impact we want to have at le- at the very least. And this is these are the data that show up most easily on rates of detention and suspension and discipline referrals to the office. And that's extremely gratifying to see people's hard work paying off like that. Yeah, and I I think for for our school, what would be what people are hoping, I think, you know, I personally, being in the office, have seen the change over the last two years just in my own implementation in terms of historical rates of suspension and expulsion and things like that in the school. I think where the staff um, are hoping to see that difference is, the actual reduction in need for referrals to the office where, you know, concerns are being addressed proactively and it's not getting to a point where students are being referred to the office. Um, Because by the time it gets to me, often the teacher has in their mind, um, you know, one idea of what, you know, consequences or follow-up that they would like to see. And then if I'm implementing CPS, it doesn't always align. So the goal is to get the whole system aligned so that we're being proactive and, preventing things before they happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of our biggest goals this year, too, is to have staff more comfortable you know, doing doing CPS and plan B in their own classrooms so that it doesn't feel sort of disjointed that you're calling somebody else in and that you know, that's not the person having the problem. So it just it just makes such a difference. And, and the children feel more at home and more comfortable when they're in their own classroom, and I think they feel more wanted and included instead of feeling like they're solving problems with somebody that's not their teacher. Exactly, exactly. And I find that a big part of that, I I, I think that there's two big components to that. One is having individual classroom teachers feel like they are competent at doing Plan B. Otherwise, we are setting the stage for them to intervene proactively, but the way in which we'd like them to intervene proactively is a way that they're not, don't have great comfort with yet. And then, you know, that then they're really not happy because we haven't done our part. We're, we're asking them to do something new. You know, we did this with inclusion, especially in the United States. We told people to get good in conclu- at, at, at including way before we prepared them to be good at including. Right, and, um, right. It was, you know, sort of a fascinating thing. I think that's how sort of legislation works. We legislate, okay, um, they're in your classrooms now, but we always forget the part about making sure that people are prepared for what we're now throwing at them. So, you know, I think preparing people for what we're hoping they'll do is crucial, and that's just helping them become proficient at Plan B and having mechanisms in place to set the stage for them to do that. Yeah. Second is... Um, to organize things, paperwork, communication, in a way, time, in a way that actually permits them to be proactive. Otherwise, we got people who are feeling proficient in their ability to do Plan B, to solve problems collaboratively with a kid, but the mechanisms and the structures aren't in place to permit them to do it proactively, which means they're doing it emergently, which means they're not getting much bang for the buck out of Plan B. Find right. it. Those are the two biggies. What, what do you guys think? 
I think you know, investing definitely structure and systems as well as time um, for that works for your own school. I think I've we've tried here different things that are were our own ideas of different systems and structures that that didn't work so well. And I think this year we are trying to include some more feedback of the best systems for paperwork in the best way. And our superintendent this year has um has built in more time for classroom teachers. We actually have research, uh, recess monitors coming in, so this is a wonderful year to really you know, have some more things in place, and as well as as practicing more Plan B. And um, I think the videos and the, the website, just as Carol saying, it's a perfect way, you know, a way to go about that. So it has to work well, for your own staff. Just a little plug here. We have a new. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm revamping this program for this year. Our educators panel is almost the only thing that is remaining unscathed. But um, I'm actually going to begin working with a new school, Anytown Elementary School. Oh, nice. Um, and, and they are actually going to be recording their use of Plan B with kids, and we're going to be playing it on the air. Wow. And I'll be giving them feedback. And that's oh, that's neat. great, but the thing the thing that prompted me to say that is that another feature of the program this year is that I'm going to be doing a monthly interview with uh, staff in each of the schools in Maine that is oh, involved wow. in the project in Maine. Um, and Nina, we may leave your school out because we get to hear a lot from you on yep. the educators panel, so don't feel bad. And we'll probably leave Tom. Tom's school is in the project as well. We're going to probably leave his school out as well, unless he. Well, Tom. Tom may not like that, but of course he's not <laughs> on the program today, so we can talk about him. And he has no opportunity to respond whatsoever. Um, but there's 12 other schools in Maine that are at one stage or another of implementing collaborative problem solving. Nina, your building is one of those that is furthest along. Yep. And I'm struck by the fact that um, – so that's going to be another feature, Anytown Elementary and a monthly interview with the staff in one of the buildings that is actually doing it. And that's going to be complemented, of course, by the website that once I get a little bit more streaming video will be launched um, oh. featuring all of the schools in Maine. And I'll each have a page uh, on the website telling us how they did it. Um, and so that's cool. But, yeah. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Well, now I've lost my train of thought. Um, I think it's each school is at various points in implementation, and in some buildings it's come along much quicker than in others. Um, so different schools are at different points along the way, even though some schools are have had more sessions than others in terms of supervision. And I'm struck by the fact that here you are, um, at least a year and a half out from having begun the project. And, Carol, you're talking about uh, being in at least the second or third year of trying this. Uh-huh. And what's what's clear is that, well, you're never there. <laughs> no, very true. That's for sure. Yep. Well, your children, well, um, your needs change so much, the needs of the school and the needs of the, you know, the needs of the students, and you just always have to be... Once you know, just changing and going along with which, what makes sense and what engages everybody in the process. Well, there's the everybody piece, and you know the way we do it in the project, 
we start with a core group in each building, and I understand that there are pros and cons to that. The pro is that you're starting small. There's a major con to starting too big, and that is that I've been talking about that this more in my talks lately, and that is that if you start too big, you have people who are enthusiastic about collaborative problem solving in the beginning try it, but don't get the coaching and supervision they need to get through the hard times and throw in the towel because they're not experiencing success with it early on because we started too big and couldn't possibly have given everybody the help that they needed in coaching them along through the hard parts. That's the yeah. that's the disadvantage of starting big. The disadvantage of starting small is you have people who feel left out and feel like right. it's only the you know privileged few who are able to access the information. Um, yes. My opinion is the cons of starting big outweigh the cons of starting small. So I'm still yeah. always encouraging people to start small. But what we're hearing is that you've, you've, you've now, Nina, have you exposed everybody in the building? Is everybody exposed yeah. at least to collaborative problem solving? Yes. Last year, you know, right at in the beginning of the year when we had Kim come and train our whole staff, everybody stayed after school for three hours. Um, that was you know, really important to have it have starts from that way, and so everybody's been exposed for sure. Good. And, and Carol, where where are you? I'm, I'm not positive that everybody in your building has everybody in your building been exposed? Um, well, at the beginning of uh, last year, I did show some of the videos from the website on at some of my staff meetings, so people were exposed to it. Of course, we do always have some new staff, and um, so. It is something that we're going to be um, discussing as a whole group as well as doing the small group um, study groups. Um, so, yeah, exposure definitely. Um, I also had a, about a dozen copies of the book that I lent to people over the summer. And uh, I know for myself I didn't really do any uh, work-related reading for the month of July, but I'm hoping <laughs> once I got into <laughs> August I kind of caught up on it. So I am hoping that people, um, you know, were at least opening up the book. What's really interesting is that um, there's a, I have a colleague at another school here in Surrey who um, has also been working with collaborative problem solving, and her school counselor is very much a proponent of it. And so they are going to be we're going to be trying to work on this action research project together. And my husband, who's an educational assistant, is actually now working at that school. So he is reading the book, and now we're starting to have the conversations at home about, you know, what do you do and, and changing that mindset from, you know, uh, kids can do kids do well if they can versus that motivational, you know, that we just need to make them want to more. And so I'm, I'm getting kind of professional development myself every day at home when I'm having these conversations with him. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Wow, collab din dinner time collaborative problem solving. Right, eh? absolutely. And I use a little plan B on him sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. Just remember, you can't you can't use plan some plan B on somebody. You have to do some plan B with somebody. Oh, with? Oh, okay. I thought if it was family members, you do it to right, them. Maybe husband. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, Nina, what do you feel like your what's your number one priority for? Um, advancing the ball forward with collaborative problem solving in your building this year? What You've mentioned it briefly, but maybe you can go into a little bit more detail. What do you, what do you want to make sure happens this year, given that there's no there there um, yep. and that this is a slow, steady process? I was with this uh, guy last night. I was having dinner with um, a friend last night who is a cook, and he was giving 
my wife's advice on cooking whatever <laughs> kind of meat. I'm, I'm not a big meat eater. And his three words were low and slow. Yeah. Low and slow. Yeah. Meaning that if you cook meat, and we're not going to turn this into a cooking program, <laughs> uh, he said he said you cook meat on low heat and very slowly. That's when it comes out the best. When you cook it too fast, not so much. And I was sitting as I do with almost everything, tying everything to collaborative problem solving. Yep. I was thinking, that's exactly right. Low exactly. and slow. Um, yep. But what's what's next? What are you putting on the menu next in terms of moving your building forward a little further? Well, I, you know, I think slow is exactly still where I am just beginning this school year and in a new position. Um, you know, you were talking about that elite group that gets you know, trained, and that's where, you know, we were last year trying to generalize after that, and I think that is where we start. You know, that is, that's an interesting transition, and I think for a while maybe some people thought that it was more about our group instead of, you know, collaborative problem solving and helping children. So, we're back to going slow for sure, but also um, just listening. I want to listen to teachers and listen to what they need to make it work and listen to see uh, what they need at their staff staff time. We also this year have professional development hours that are more flexible. So we're going to have a group doing um, collaborative problem solving as their professional development hours. So that It's about 24 hours for the year. And those will be for people that are new. So it will be new to it. I mean, not new in my building, but new, not part of that core group that was initially trained. So that those are some two of the goals. We are redoing our um, student assistant team a little bit to be more individualized. Uh, we felt like last year teachers weren't always accessing our group, and it was so this year we're going to, the SAT team will meet with teachers on uh, times that are more available to them. Um, so I think that will open it up a little bit more as well. And I just, you know, I had somebody, and I, I've been taking it slow this year, and somebody already asked how to, you know, how to start the LSUP and what should they do. So that was such a good sign to me to hear that before I had even mentioned it, they came to me talking about CPS and what they wanted to do. And, you know, so I think that's my biggest, the biggest thing, taking it slow and listening to what the staff needs to make CPS work. I think it's very cool that they came to you. Yeah. Do, I, I don't know if I should um, spill the beans, but got any final results yet on your staff member? We we did hear that she's she did not get the first place award, but she's you know she's our teacher of the year for sure. So <laughs> she was the final final three and um, not you know was it was not chosen for the for the top one, but she's. She's our teacher of the year. So <laughs> Nina has a teacher. Can I say Nina? Yeah, yeah, sure. Nina has a teacher in her building who was up for teacher of the year in Maine. Yes. Wow. Yes, and she was the top. And um, top three. A big, a big part of her, and she's phenomenal at collaborative problem solving. And a big part of her, uh, what makes her so great, and what she put out in front of the folks who were making the choice about who the ultimate teacher of the year would be. Too bad there has to be a final winner, especially I now know. that she's not it. But um, if she was it, I wouldn't be saying that. But um, she's not <laughs> it. It's like, it's like, you know, when your team loses a close game, you're saying, well, you know, the TV announcers are saying, too bad somebody has to lose this game. But uh, she didn't lose. Yep. She won just she by being it. one of the top three. 
but a big part of what she talks about is collaborative problem solving and forming relationships with kids and she's phenomenal at it so lots of things happening in your building right Um, and now that she and she has even being that top three there's so many opportunities for her to talk about CPS still in the state of Maine and even further. So they, you know, the, they call on her for, for many things. So it, it's really exciting. Great. Yeah. Uh, Carol, what, where, where, do you, where would you say you're at? Where am I at? Um, I your think building. What, <laughs> well, I'm sitting on my exercise ball right now. No, um, I think what, um, I think I'm very in a, in a similar position to Nina. I think, um, I, I think people in the building have a general sense of what CPS is. I've had some staff members who have sat in with me. You know, I've kind of facilitated a, a problem-solving discussion between students and them and with parents sometimes too. Um, but I think where, where my direction is this year is, is building capacity amongst the staff to be implementing it on their own. And uh, so taking a little bit of that um, Role off of my shoulders. I kind of, I do feel like I've I've carried it along for a couple of years, and I have people that I know are really interested, but they just don't feel ready to do it on their own. So it's kind of formalizing it into professional development, and I'm I'm quite envious. I know Nina, you were saying that you have professional development hours that you can you can work in throughout your school day. I'm still probably going to be in a position where I'm going to be asking people to be doing this on their own time, whether it's you know. Um, after school, you know, a, a session every couple of weeks or or something like that because um, it is a smaller group. And one thing that I am willing to do, though, and, and this is something that the staff and I had discussed uh, leading up to last school year, and then we were a bit derailed by the teacher strike last year, but oh, right. um, with things being back to normal, mm-hmm. um, I think that uh, that folks are willing to have me provide release time for them to either discuss it uh, with a colleague to um, coach each other, to um, you know, I can cover, I can take the teacher's class while they're having discussions with the student, things like that. Um, I wish I had uh, a counselor on on school grounds um, more than just the day and a half a week that I get, because so often they're just you know working one on one with kids and and helping them cope with different crises in their life. But I know that at my colleague's school, she has her counselor uh, half-time, and so that's part of what he is willing to do is to be that facilitator. So I'll kind of take that on in my building, which I'm happy to do because um, I think when I spend the time, where you spend your time is what people see as being important to you. So I think just not even just giving teachers the time, but because I think seeing myself placing the importance on it, people will realize that it really is important to what we do. So that's where I'm planning to go with it this year. You know, I'm always struck by how much can make it difficult, how much of what's thrown at people who work in school buildings doesn't always have a great deal to do with the kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, the strike is a good example of that and not that strikes not that strikes are good and not that strikes are bad and strikes are not the only thing that make it difficult for people to stay focused on the stuff they really want to stay focused on in the building and I'm always just blown away by all of the distractions that keep us from keeping our eye on the ball yeah. and uh you know, Carol, in your case, it was the strike, but you're still going to have stuff this year. I mean, the strike was big, and I'm glad that it's settled, but you, 
I'm especially blown away by the number of things principles. And Nina, I was sort of curious. You know, um, of all the people in the school building who I'm blown away by the fact that of all the things that get in the way of them actually focusing on the kids, mm-hmm. are you noticing that now as the principal? Um, I'm betting there's all kinds of stuff that you have to deal with as it relates to the running of the building and meetings they want you to be at, et cetera, that take you away from what you really want to be spending your time doing. Yeah, you know, it's definitely the the parts that, um, you know, the, the emails and things, the things that are, have nothing to do with the children. Um, but I do feel, you know, fortunate here in this, in, in this school that I am able to, Mostly devote my days to to being with the, the children as much as you know as much as I can, but it, it feels like I can be visible and with them, and um, which is nice. I think it's just you know it's our school and our community, and that that is able to happen so far. So I might be saying something differently in, in a few months or in the spring, but so far I've been able to spend quite a bit of time. Um, we'll check you know. back with you. Yeah, you should. <laughs> and the nicest part of starting back again is some of our children with the most challenging behavior. Um, we've seen a lot of growth. Uh, you know, it's kind of nice to, whether in new new places and new teachers, and we t- we talk to that teacher and say, you'll, you know, they sat in morning meeting and they actually, you know, they're, they're talking, and what a change um, from the beginning of last year and how really reflecting that, going at, going at a slow play, pace with them and really collaborating and problem-solving about, what was going on, I think, has really made them to who they are today and being able to be even a part of a classroom and our different mindset of not just wanting to, you know, say somebody get them out of our school or somebody do something different with them, making them feel part of our school. And it's that's been the biggest proponent of CPS for me, just watching these kids come back and be settled and be feel like they're wanted at our school. Well, and, of course, in the same way that collaborative problem-solving in a building is a work in progress and there's no there there, collaborative problem-solving in each individual kid is a work in progress and there's no there there. Um, There are kids who we eventually forget that we even did collaborative problem-solving with because they come so far that um, we don't feel like we are so focused on them anymore. Um, but there's blips in buildings and there's blips with individual kids, mm-hmm. and it's really no different. Definitely. There's no there there with the kids either. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad they're looking good. Is today your first day, Nina? No, we've been here since last Tuesday as well. Oh, okay. Um, yep. You know, I'm, I'm delighted that they're looking good, but there's especially with behaviorally challenging students, always going to be the unsolved problem that still outstrips the skills they have to respond adaptively to the demands being placed upon them. And then the hard part is convincing people, and in your school maybe not so hard, Mm -hmm. uh, convincing people that you still stay the course. Exactly. um, because there is always that temptation. I've been begun thinking these days because it came up recently about sort of that fork in the road. We yep. see a kid's challenging behavior. This came up at a school that I was at in New York City on Friday. We see a kid's challenging behavior, and 
there are two directions that we can go in. We can say, we don't like that behavior. Here's the behavior we want the kid to exhibit instead, and then start um, rewarding the behavior we want to see, sometimes called the replacement behavior, and punishing the behavior we don't want to see, all the while knowing nothing about the lagging skills and unsolved problems that set that behavior in motion in the first place. And it's very automatic for people to say, we need to reward the behaviors we like and punish the behaviors we don't. We need to consequence the behavior we don't like. Here's the other path. We see a behavior we don't like. We put our heads together and figure out what unsolved problem gave rise to that behavior. We collaborate with the kid on solving that problem after we understand it completely. We gather the information we need from the kid so that we really have a good sense of what's going on. It's just a completely different direction to head in. And it's sort of fascinating, especially when I'm asked, and you you both may have to grapple with this, what's the feasibility of combining adult-imposed consequences with collaborative problem-solving? And I, I like to think I'm not a very rigid thinker, although I suspect that there could be some out there who disagree with that, but I don't know. I'm open to the possibility that combining the two could make sense. It's actually been studied a little bit in research. Um, But I still think that when we are standing there at the fork, dealing with a kid's challenging behavior, it truly is a fork because they are two completely different mentalities and two completely different ways of going about thinking about and dealing with a student's challenging behavior. Any thoughts on that? Well, where I see the the possibility of that coexisting, where there may be consequences as well as, um, like adult imposed consequences, as well as collaborative problem solving is two two ways. One would be in restorative justice, where if a child's behavior and their their, um, challenging episodes are impacting other people, that there be some restorative justice in terms of making it right with that person discussing who who may have been affected and how can we make it better how can we make it right for them um the other part that um that i've i've sometimes used which does help especially with some of those staff members who may be um quite stuck in the mindset of of consequences is when there is a severe concern happening and it is affecting you know the teacher's classroom and their classroom environment and they really kind of have have lost their ability to to spend time with that child and be positive is rather than um, imposing like a, a detention or a suspension, I'll I'll bring that child into my office and have them spend a, a day or even longer with me. And what we can do during that time is try to lower the emotional level of both the student and the yeah. teacher um, to get some work done and to have some collaborative problem-solving conversations and just lower that... Um, take the, some of the emotion and the frustration out of the situation until it's we're able to go at it again in a productive way with everybody involved. Mm. It's interesting. I think that there are restorative justice folks who would not view that intervention as adult-imposed by definition. <laughs> yes. um, I mean, I think that 
um, restorative practices, making amends, making it right with the person who was you know, treated badly, can be done in both an um, imposed way, unilaterally, but can also be done in a collaborative way through discussion, not only with the kid who is on the hook for restoring, but also with the parties who um, uh, we're trying to make reparations to and make amends to. Um, I've seen it done both ways. I think that collaborating on reparations and making amends is more effective, mostly because you're now giving the kid who has done something you weren't too keen on a chance to think about it rather than just having him do what we're telling him to do to make reparations. Of course. You're right. Right, the difference of doing the what we used to do, just tell them to say sorry and... No, of course not. And right. I think the, right. I think um, absolutely taking into account the wishes of the person who's been wronged is absolutely imperative because I can only guess at what would make them feel righted. Whereas yep. it's just like with a student, when you're using collaborative problem solving, we don't want to try to be the genius and try and guess what's going on. Mm-hmm. We ask the student. And so with restorative justice, it's asking the person who was wronged, what could you do to make, what would help you feel like this was made right and, and help you to move forward, and then getting that input from the other student as well. Yeah, and knowing the intentions of what you're trying to do. Sometimes I think some practices that seem like they might not be um you're trying to be shaming, end up, that's really the intent. You're, like, you're having somebody, um, I think it's being where I always am just trying to be really careful of my intention of what I want for the student. Do I want them to be embarrassed because they're talking to the whole mm-hmm. class about them apologizing, or do I want to, or is it their idea to go and try to fix things? So I think you're kind of just watching both of those. And, and I know for me that I've, you know, if, some, if a child's having a really extremely rough time at recess, Instead of me keep sending them out to fail every day, it, it makes more sense sometimes to keep them to, to do problem solving, to figure it out before you set them up. And so that looks, you know, it's a consequence in some way it, it appears to be, but it's also I feel like it's being um, careful of the student and not setting them up for a, a horrible time until you can kind of get that problem uh, plan in place. So it, it, I think it, it meets the needs of, everybody's thinking that it does appear to be a logical consequence but it's also proactive it's also you're trying you need to get a plan in place with the student's input before they can actually go out there and be successful right and i think that's a really key point nina like you said just you're not sending you're not going to just keep sending them out there to fail if you haven't been able to come up with some solutions with the child mm-hmm. for that problem that's happening and if you just keep yeah. on the one hand if you're saying you know I'm with you we're, we'll figure this out together we'll come up with a solution together but in the meantime you're still sending them out and the problem keeps happening it's right, um, right. you know the child isn't going to trust you because you're not exactly. d- doing what you said you were going to do so yep. you know sometimes and while the child might not be happy to, to not go out you know I think right. most of the time when I when that's happened with kids that I've worked with they understand that that right. you really are just you know helping keep them safe and, and helping them be successful. And you can make it, you know, an alternative that's fun until right. such time that you can come up with a solution right. to the problem together. Right. And often the children that are, it could be that their plan is a, a different kind of recess because recess is 
you know, there's something about recess that is not working. We, you know, we had a, somebody, a little girl coming back who was not wanting to go to recess um, last week and then realizing when we were really problem-solving with her that she was not, she didn't want to put herself out there because last year she had such tough times at recess and it was, she was just feeling anxiety about going out there and possibly fighting with her friends and we were able to come up with a plan to, she could have a, a quiet indoor recess and bring a friend slowly, you know, so that she would start slowly with a couple of friends and then build her way back out. So we wouldn't have yeah. known that if we hadn't problem solved. We would have just tried to try to get her outside because we thought, you know, right. fresh air and go out, get it, you know, get, enjoy it. she just it, so. needed a scaffold. She just needed yeah, that absolutely. gradual support, and then she'll yep. be able to build that skill and do it. Yep. And it seems so obvious sometimes. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so obvious, and yet for some, some it's just so hard to grasp. Absolutely. Well, I think it's that fork in the road. I mean, I can't help but adding that, and I think you both were saying this, it's hard for me to imagine restorative practices in the absence of solving the problem. Yeah. Because you can have kids making amends um, till the cows come home, mm-hmm. but until the problem that set in the mo- that set in motion the behavior that they're making amends for until that problem is solved they're still making amends yeah does that make sense absolutely absolutely i think it's the same to me as responsive classroom we're we you know a responsive classroom school but i can't see that alone without without having collaborative problem solving. They have to go together or else you're just putting band-aids and not with the kids that, you know, that are having the challenging behavior. They need, we need to figure out what's really going on for them. Well, community building without there being a mechanism for helping people solve problems with each other. And the responsive classroom folks have added in more recent memory problem-solving conferences. You're right, yep. Um, and I like to think that that's, that was influenced by collaborative problem solving back oh, in the day so. when I was working with them. I could be wrong about that, but they mm-hmm. bear some resemblance to Absolutely. solving problems collaboratively. But building community without helping the members of the community know how to solve conflict with each other um, won't fly and may explain why the responsive classroom folks have always talked about the 10% who really right. don't benefit from responsive classroom until something is added. Mm-hmm. And um, but anyways, what were you going to say? No, I, that, that's what I, we see here. It's, it, they can go together as long as you you have to have the CP, you have to have CPS or you are leaving off a very important you know, group of children. Yeah, I mean, if you ask me what. What do we as human beings, with all of our community building and love and peace, um, you know, there are a lot of people who want people to love each other better, and I think that's a fantastic thing, loving each other better. But love doesn't really teach people how to resolve Mm -hmm. conflict. Mm -hmm. So I think to myself, um, both are great, but love, restorative practices, community building, 
people still need a technology for knowing how to solve problems together. Otherwise, a lot of it falls apart a little bit. Yeah. Just one man's view. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, a predictable view from this one man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to report that we are basically out of time for today. I so enjoy our educators panel and hearing from you both and talking with you both. Ditto. I hope it's fun for you guys, too. Absolutely. We're going to call it a day for today, and thank you to both of you. I'm glad we've got this ball rolling again this year. And um, I'll be back with another edition of Collaborative Problem Solving at School next week now that we got our now that we got our groove back on and I will talk to you all then take care